When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on new roommate issues, correcting a colleague or classmate in a presentation, a truly awkward hostess gift realization that I am going to say blew my mind, and I'm now very curious. I got people I need to talk to. Okay. The use of sir and ma'am is revisited, and hostess gift suggestions. All that plus a postscript segment on gym etiquette coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. And finally, after all of our double recordings, where in the world are you now, Dan? I think it's most likely I am still asleep in my bed. (laughs) I sure hope so, because that means that you would have made it home safe and sound. And theoretically, I got in about midnight late last night. Welcome back. It's so good to be back. (laughs) I had an interesting experience. I went to a show with a friend the other night. What kind of show? And it was like a, a rock concert. There was a minor altercation. I'm going to say, you know, we talk about dealing with difficult people that you're sitting next to at a performance that you paid for and you're trying to enjoy that sort of thing. And the guy next to me, sure enough, he he actually had a rig set up to record the show. And apparently the band performing allows this. So it was legit. He could do it. Um, It wasn't like he was doing it behind the theater's back or without the permission of the band. Um, What bothered me was that as my friend and I took our seats, uh, the opening act started One guy playing guitar kind of looked like Ryan Adams, and she and I were just quietly talking back and forth about that. Like, oh, wait, who does he remind you of? Oh, he kind of reminds me of Ryan Adams. Oh, okay, you know. Not loud. We weren't shouting. He leans right into the middle of the two of us, so completely invades our space, and says, be quiet, and he mentioned the microphone. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if maybe the microphones were being – I tried to look to see if it was connected to earpieces somehow. Maybe it was bringing – in my mind, I'm like, is this bringing down the level so he can enjoy the show but not have his ears hurt? I just – I didn't understand what was going on because at that point I didn't know he was allowed to record – the show. And I was really unimpressed by how he handled asking my friend and I to be quiet. And when the first act broke before the main performers came on, I asked him, I said, I'm terribly sorry, but I'm just curious. Are you a part of the venue and the, and you're just you're recording it or are you part of the band and recording it? No, no, I'm just a hobbyist and this band allows you to record. And so he explained to me the situation. I said, oh, OK. And I was like, interesting. And he said, yeah, I just really don't want to have a recording that has loud conversation from people sitting next to me that I, you know, I paid a $60, you know, fee to see this show. And I was just like, 
okay, well, in my mind, and I did not say this to him, but I wanted to say, well, I didn't pay $60 for this seat to be told how to behave by the person next to me. Thank you very much. I'm allowed to whisper to my friend. This is a rock <laughs> concert. It is not the opera. It's not a recording studio it's either. It's not a recording studio either. And I was really peeved. How did I handle it? I said, and this is my kind of snarky answer, I'll admit it. But I said to him, I said, oh, well, then we should probably end this conversation now. And his response was, oh, no, I'm not recording at this moment. And I said, well, I'd like to. Oh. <laughs> and it was just yeah. like, you know, I don't really want to engage. I was so annoyed. My friend was livid. She was like, great. I paid. She paid for my ticket. And so she was like, you know, I've paid, you know, 120 bucks and I'm sitting next to this total jerk who thinks that just because the band lets him record, he can tell me how to behave. We watched him sort of shove two people away from the microphone as they were trying to get to their seats. Yeah. And it blew my mind, the audacity that he had to act like that. And at the same time, I did want to be respectful because he had a right to do it and not a right to treat us badly, but a right to record. And yeah, no, I I know you awkward and I I trust you to take that part of the thinking and and keep it in mind that that everybody has interest in sharing this public space and enjoying this music in yeah. their way. And and I'm used to that sort of titchy interaction a little yeah, bit. Like, totally. And, and, and yeah. that'll happen. You know, I, I rub you a little wrong. You rub me a little wrong. We're both well-mannered enough to not let it really escalate. Bingo. We yeah. can sort of give each other that, like, sideways like, look. That I don't lets appreciate us know. you. You don't appreciate me, but we're both here. Let's watch the show. And that's part of yeah. accountability in public spaces because yeah. in public, we're all operating from our own perspective. Right. So definitely we need those little reminders, those little check-ins, the positive and sometimes the checking. Check-in. <laughs> um, the checking your behavior. <laughs> to me, it absolutely crosses the line when it gets physical. The second I hear that he you pushed put- a couple people is the moment where I start wondering in my head. This isn't just a little bit of friction between two people having to be sitting next to each other. He's shoving people, and that's that's inappropriate to me. That that really yeah. starts to be transgressive in a way that if the usher does walk by or if I had a moment to talk to an usher at the back of the theater, I might say, you know, there's someone down there who's taping who's pretty aggressive. I've seen him push a couple people. He was right? pretty rude with the way he talked to me, and yeah. it'd be great if someone could talk to him about it. Well, the thing that blew my mind about it was that his his recording device was attached to the seat in front of him, and my mind goes to, you didn't pay for that seat, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, the person who sits down in front of you your equipment should not be interfering with them sitting and standing and all of that. And it was awkward. I had never seen it before. I doubt if I will ever see it again. But it it was just strange. Well, thanks for taking a chance and sharing about a not entirely polite encounter. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Happens to all of us, folks. With that, should we get to our wonderful listener questions? Let's do it. Give me a ride. There's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. Our first question today is about new roommate issues. Lizzie and Dan, due to some unfortunate circumstances, I was not assigned a roommate for my double room at the university I attended for the fall 2015 semester. I was reassigned a roommate for the current semester, and I'm having a little trouble readjusting. I had the entire room to myself, and I'm finding some things my roommate does a little bit inconsiderate, but I'm wondering if it's just a manifestation of my preference to not have a roommate after living without one. Some things are clearly my problem, like the fact that I get annoyed when my roommate utilizes the overhead light until late at night when she is studying because she doesn't have a desk light, or the fact that she sprays fragrances that I'm sensitive to. 
However, other things are less clear, like the fact that she uses our shower for a solid 30 minutes in the morning that prevents me and another one of my housemates from accessing a bathroom or our toothbrushes. To make matters worse, she asked me when she was moving in what sort of systems my house operated on, and I didn't have any good answers because we only had three people living in our house total, and we really didn't need any systems for living together. Where do I draw the line between making my new roommate feel comfortable while also maintaining my comfort in this shared living space? Is it unreasonable to ask that she buy a desk light so that she can keep studying late at night without the overhead light on? How would I go about having a second conversation about new systems that clearly need to be implemented? Sincerely, Catherine. Catherine, you sound like you're a great roommate, in my opinion, because you're thinking about both sides of it. I love the fact that right off the bat, we can tell that you are trying to consider whether this is just because you've had a room to yourself or whether these are actually issues. Ironically, I think that some of the things you think are your personal issues are things that I would say are definitely worth addressing. That overhead light thing, that's a big deal. You need to be able to go to sleep. She either needs to go do her studying in a common room or at the library or somewhere else it's going to be late at night or get the desk lamp like you suggested. I was thinking that one potential solution would be to pick an hour when overhead light goes off that you can both agree to as a reasonable Absolutely. sleep time. If you want to sleep before that, you could get an eye shade. Like Absolutely. The, the little eye you. mask. Totally. But then after that... A- Mutually agreed upon time, you transition to... Night lights and soft light or moving out of the room. I think that's a great solution for that one. The the perfume, that's one actually that we address all the time. And that's one I personally am really sensitive to. So I say speak up about it and say, hey... It would just be really great if you could spit your perfume out in the hallway or something because I didn't realize it, but I happen to be very sensitive to it, and it's causing me a little bit of trouble, and I was hoping you'd consider doing that. You know, even just asking her to consider it is a place to start. She might not be thinking about it. One thing that I think is awesome about the situation that you're in is that when your roommate moved in, she asked about systems for the house. You might not have known what to say then, like you said, but this gives you a chance to say, okay, now that there are four of us living in this place together, we need to bring up some household rules or or establish some household systems, even use her language. And it's perfectly okay to call a meeting like that and to say it's time that we figure this out. Being locked out of the bathroom for half an hour in the morning is not okay. There obviously people are going to need to shower. They're going to need to do other things in the bathroom that are private. But brushing your teeth, putting on makeup, blow drying your hair, those are all things that can be done when you're clothed. And it should be accessible to you in some way, shape or form. So I think calling a meeting saying it's time for us to establish some systems to help make this house run better is going to help you out a lot. Catherine, we truly hope that this helps. I think you're going to have a great living situation after you've had this meeting and you all think about ways to communicate and compromise and commit to what you decide on. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. 
what was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is actually a bit of a doozy. Correcting a colleague or classmate during a presentation. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I am currently a grad student pursuing a master's in social work. For many of our classes, we work on group projects in partnership with local agencies. At the end of the semester, we give presentations that serve the dual purpose of sharing our findings with our sponsors and contributing to our grade in the class. Last semester, one of my groups was made up entirely of people who, like me, get really flustered by public speaking. Despite practicing several times beforehand, when nerves kicked in on the day of the presentation, a couple group members went off script and said things that misrepresented our agency and the work that we did for them. I wanted to get us back on track, but couldn't think of a tactful way to interrupt and correct what they had said without embarrassing them or drawing further attention to our mistakes. Do you have any advice about respectful ways to publicly correct a teammate without throwing them under the bus? Any guidance you could give would be greatly appreciated. Best, uncomfortable but silent. Uncomfortable but silent. I can understand being incapacitated by this type of situation. This is one of the most difficult questions that I think I've received Especially on this podcast. in the business world. Yep. I mean, this is tough. Because there's multiple points of etiquette here that are all coming into play, and it's just a difficult situation. Some people will respond with um, some aggression, some heat. They'll, they'll want to get right in and get involved. And fix uh, it. They want to <laughs> fix it. And other people just want to retreat. And I didn't fall more in that second category. I, when a meeting gets tense or there's conflict in a situation, I tend to want people to deal with it themselves. I want to get myself out of there as quickly as possible. So facing such an embarrassing and awkward situation, I would be tempted to stay silent as well. I'm going to debate you on that. Can I? Come may in, please, I? May please. I? No, because I? I, I was going to qualify and give all the different reasons sure that were. I would jump in or not. I would say Dan is absolutely it. right about the scenario that he just listed. If there was a, let's say, a disagreement at one of our meetings in the office, he definitely he sits back a bit or he waits very patiently to then put his two cents in. I'll say that is exactly his behavior. However, the situation she talks about is different. Is different. And I have seen you correct people and you do it very gently and very politely and it's wonderful. And so whenever in a meeting there is 
misinformation or things that are incorrect that are being said during a presentation, it is okay to correct. Whether it's a number that's wrong or a strategy that's wrong, it's okay to say, excuse me, Jim, in our findings, I think you meant to read it this way, or I think you meant to to report it this way. And it's okay to do that kind of a correction. Or actually, I just wanted to clarify that number is 3 million, not 300,000, or something like that. It's a gentle, slight correction, and it's perfectly appropriate. And you are very good at doing that at our our conference table, I will say. Thank you for acknowledging that and saying so. And, And I think that you really are keying on it here. The less fraught it feels for you, the better off you're going to be. Oftentimes when when any of us are faced with a potentially embarrassing or awkward situation, that emotional response tends to give things an added significance that can make it difficult just to do the most rational, obvious, reasonable thing. So rather than jump in, there are some fight response people who might say, no, 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 that's all wrong, or really try to interrupt the presentation. And if you're too emotional about that interruption, that can be problematic as well. And that can give offense. That can be awkward or difficult. Also, you don't want to be incapacitated. You don't want to say nothing, particularly when there's something at stake. And when you talk about these results are being presented to sponsors and that they're going to impact your grade, you have to start to look at things like that and say, you know, I'm responsible here. I'm responsible for being honest about how I represent myself. And I'm also responsible for for respecting myself and the work that I put in and the time that this group has put in to doing this well. And and this is graded work and that that really does matter. And it matters not just to you and to the person who you're correcting, but to the rest of the group as well. So our listener, I would give you the advice to Really try to gather the courage to feel comfortable speaking up in that type of situation. And you might even practice it. It might be something that in your next group situation say, hey, I'm not that comfortable public speaking. I would really want to welcome any of you. If by chance I slip up, please feel free to offer a gentle correction. You can give an example of what one might sound like. You can open it up and say, I hope you'll understand if I do this for you, that it really is just a gentle correction so that we get the correct information out there. You can even practice the language of at the end of your part of the presentation. You know, is there anything that I've left out that anyone else would like to add? Sort of figuring out ways to open the floor a little bit so that you give room and space to support each other, help each other out, and and do that kind of work on the fly. Exactly. And one of the things I remember from school is that we would always practice the presentation to do it perfectly. It's also a great idea to practice the presentation as if hiccups th- happen or if something tanks, how do you recover from it? It's a great kind of third level thinking on it. So I think that you are setting yourself up to have an amazing second semester, and we hope that it's going really well so far. This next question is about a truly awkward hostess gift realization. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I work in the sales division for a winery and routinely give my friends our wines as gifts. They seem to like it, and some of them have come to expect it, particularly when I'm traveling and visiting friends who live out of state. In a few weeks, I'll be attending an annual conference out of town and staying with some good friends of mine who have kindly allowed me to crash at their home every time I've visited their city for this multi-day event in the past. As a thank you gift for their hospitality, I always bring them wine, and they seem genuinely delighted to have it. Here's the problem. I recently asked one of the winemakers at my company if our wines are vegan, since I had received this question from a customer. 
He replied that there are times when the winemaking team may add small amounts of gelatin or processed egg whites to a batch of wine to reduce cloudiness or achieve certain qualities that result in a better product. While this apparently common winemaking practice isn't a problem for me, my friends who host me during my annual conference are committed vegans. Yikes. I feel bad and don't know what to do. Should I own up to my mistake of having served them non-vegan wines in the past? Or should I just keep my mouth shut now that the damage is done? Furthermore, what should I do when I visit them again in a few weeks and they host me at their home? They have come to expect wine from me when I visit, and while I'm usually very happy to oblige, somehow conveniently forgetting to mention the fact that the wines aren't vegan seems deceptive and disrespectful of the ethical principles that govern their food choices. What course of action do you recommend? Thanks for any insight you might provide. Cheers. Or in this case, maybe not. Jake. Phenomenal question. Truly awkward. And also now I'm very concerned about friends of mine who are vegan who do drink wine and I'm going, do they not know? I'm dying to tell them now. And that is where I think there starts to be some breathing room in this question. Absolutely. So, Jake, a couple thoughts. I I think absolutely you do not continue to bring them wine. You can't ethically, morally do that. It's like knowing that you put beef stock in the vegetarian chili, you know. Now that you know, you don't. You could maybe bring them a bottle of vegan wine. (laughs) Right. I would definitely seek out vegan wine. I would not be bringing them your wine anymore. Clearly, they didn't know or they weren't sure if your wine was or not and they didn't ask. You might, because they're such good friends, be able to come to it at an honesty standpoint and say, tell them the story. I don't want this to be upsetting to you, but I want you to know that moving forward, I care greatly about making sure that your principles are upheld when I come here and when I give you gifts. So this is why I'm no longer bringing you our wine, and I would advise you not to purchase it because it could be non-vegan wine. And I had no idea wine was ever not vegan. For exactly that reason, I don't think you need to feel bad about the gift that you've brought in the past. There's definitely this moment of awkwardness about how the conversation comes up, and it probably comes up around the fact that you bring something different this time. So being prepared for that is so smart. Right. I discovered years ago that the red dye that's in a lot of food is made from um, crushed up bugs. So there are a lot of vegans who will eat food that has red food dye in it that's actually an animal source product. There's so They don't know there it, is though. so much animal sourcing of products unless someone is so careful and so right. meticulous about they're generally ingesting their something. diet. Th- this type of thing happens. It happens to people who have vegan and vegetarian and even raw foods diets, people that really pay attention to their to their food and their food intake well, find themselves in this situation. So this was gonna be my next point. Exactly. It's something they have to learn about and it's a process. You know, I've watched my best best friend go from being full meat eater to full vegan. And it's been a remarkable process to watch her eliminate items and make choices. And Mm -hmm. I would trust that your friends have had to do the same over time if they were not raised vegans and very strict vegans at that from the beginning who knew about things like the red dye. So I would just trust that you have their best intentions in your heart and that you wanted to help them be aware of something that maybe they didn't know before. Go into it with that. And I'm sure your intentions will show clearly and good for you for wanting to make that jump for them on their behalf. We, we really hope that helps. And it sounds like you're a most excellent house guest. I'm sure they're already looking forward to your visit, wine or no. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. 
I like our next question because it's a classic that we do need to continually revisit. This question is titled, Sir and Ma'am Revisited. Hello, I grew up in a southern transplant home that while full of fun was also full of manners and etiquette. Hey, we like that. That can be fun. I think the biggest of these lessons were to respect our elders and always say sir and ma'am when addressing adults. My chivalrous husband, who was also brought up with a unique set of manners, I like I like the use of the word unique there, is from New England. Hey, where he is from, saying sir and ma'am is considered being a smart aleck and is not widely accepted or appreciated. As we approach the season of our life where we grow our family, I am not sure how to approach this topic and come to a good compromise. Is it really an old-timey or regional sentiment that isn't necessary anymore? And are there other ways to raise kind and respectful children without saying sir or ma'am? Should I push the issue? I know this is one small example of regional and familial differences, but I wanted to get this right as we pass along lessons to our children. Thanks for your help, sir and ma'am. Madam Southern Bell. Aww. Well, thank you, Southern Bell, for your question. And thank you for the framing of your question. I love this idea of a, of a mixed house, of a New England etiquette and Southern etiquette uh, household coming together. Because these are the two regions that I oftentimes reference when I'm talking about this exact issue in our, our business training and our business seminars. Use of sir and ma'am is really perceived differently in different parts of this country. And I'm going to break and just say that I—, I I'm not certain that in New England it's really considered smart alecky. It depends on how it's said. I, I want to get to that. If you say, that. "Oh, well, yeah. yes, sir," that might be rather smart alecky. But if I say, "Sir, I was hoping you could help me with," I think that's very respectful, and I hear that around New England a lot. As do I, and okay. be, and it's something that you hear much less up here. And I definitely notice when I'm at a cash register, someone calls me "sir." Being a young man, at first I sort of enjoyed it. Now I don't notice it quite so much. But it can be done as a sign of respect. Absolutely. You can say "sir" and "ma'am" in a way that shows respect and appreciation. And in would, New England, <laughs> and I would definitely make a point of that because you don't ever want to be behaving in a way that's smart alecky or. That's got attitude. But up here, we accept it. I mean, we are in New England and we definitely it is a sign of respect. I would not go so far as to say that in the north, we don't think it's a sign of respect. The caution that we do give people about being aware of the the regional differences is that sir and ma'am can get overused and it can put you in a position where you're constantly putting yourself in a a subservient or a position of of being below or less than someone if you use it all the time. Submissive is the word I'm looking for. Thank you, Liz. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to do it so automatically that you're doing that at times when it's maybe not necessarily appropriate to be doing that or it's in social situations where people are are really wanting to achieve that level of peers and colleagues with you and it can start to get in the way of that. So Matter and Southern Bell, I want to return to what I really see is that the key point of etiquette here, that the, the fundamental principle here is that you show people respect and you show people respect by addressing them how they want to be addressed. The manners question here is about regional differences, how you show that respect. And in the South, you're going to show it by saying sir and ma'am, and you're going to say that more routinely. In New England, you're going to pay more attention to the situation that you're in when you say sir and ma'am. You have to have some fluidity to do that well in different situations. And that's part of the challenge that we all face in the world today. And your kids are fully capable of that. Kids learn different cultural languages. They learn how to adapt and change depending on the situations and environments that they're in. Kids are remarkable. They're little sponges. They're mutable. (laughs) You'd be surprised what they get away with in homes that aren't yours. For example, (laughs) you can tell them it's really important to respect people and that you call people by the names and titles that they prefer. You can even talk to them about regional differences and that 
when we're down in the South visiting this family, you're going to say that all the time and everybody's going to love it. So let's <laughs> practice for a week before we go. <laughs> and when you head up north, acknowledge them they're going to hear it less yeah. and that they might not use it as much with their friends, but that it's perfectly okay if they want to say it with grandma and grandpa or whatever the particular limits or, or constraints that you want to put on it are. Madam Southern Belle, we truly hope that that helps as you welcome children into your family and start bringing them up with wonderful manners. Our next question is about hostess gifts. Hey, Lizzie and Dan, I'm 25 years old and starting to find my friends gravitating more to dinner parties than our usual informal get-togethers. Growing up, I became accustomed to my parents always bringing hostess gifts whenever we were invited to someone's home, and I would like to uphold the nice gesture myself. I've brought small plants or home-baked cookies in the past, but are there other hostess gift options for a young person on a budget? What are your go-to gifts? Best, Diana. Diana, I love this question. First, I just want to say you don't have to bring a hostess gift every time to people's homes that you gather with often. Like, that's that's not necessary. But I think it's lovely that you have made a conscious choice to do that because it was something you appreciated that you saw your parents doing. So other gifts to give. You can go well beyond homemade baked goods. You could bring homemade oils. You know, you can take olive oil and add garlic to it or add peppers to it, put it in a nice little bottle and then give that. You can do homemade jams or jellies or specialty items that you find at the grocery store that you think would be really cool. I remember someone once brought my mom. They were little teeny tiny packages of like quince and pear and plum and they were like compotes. They weren't jellies, but they were close. And you served them on cheese platters, you know, or a little teeny tiny cheese knife. Just one, like a little little small one. They sell them at all kinds of home goods stores. Collecting little items like this to just bring if you feel like that's something that your host would appreciate are great things to kind of stock up on in store. Little tea lights. You can always bring flowers and they don't have to be a dozen or two dozen roses. You know, carnations, believe it or not, as simple as they are, they are often very inexpensive, but they have beautiful blooms that really can make for a wonderful arrangement, even just gathered in a small little bunch on their own. Long stem daylilies. Exactly. Long stem daylilies. Very simple things. I do think even just bringing a card, you know, I would say that for friends you entertain with all the time, a cute handmade card or something crafty is always great. Tea towels are a classic one. Things like that, I think you start to expand and and see what works for you, what works for your budget, and what feels like it's kind of your signature. I like it. Personalizes (laughs) a little bit. Gets you away from the the bottle of wine. Right, exactly. Which might not be vegan. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with a bottle of wine, but it it will show a little bit more thought, a little bit more care, particularly if you're doing this repeatedly and you're working in the same social circle, if you make a little bit of an effort to bring some variety to those hostess gifts. And enjoy those dinner parties. What fun that you and your friends are gathering in different ways now. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, please feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show.
So today's postscript segment is being torn from the headlines, so to speak, except they're the headlines from my personal life. Pooja and I recently joined a gym for the first time. Yay! We joined the YMCA in town, and it's a great little YMCA. I have a couple of friends who've been going for years to do what they call tribathlon. What? They go down, I kid you not, and they hit the, the dry sauna, the steam sauna, and the pool. So Okay, so they maybe get a workout at the pool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's absolutely not a workout at tri-bath-a-lon. all. Tribathlon. They call it the tribathlon. And I, I've been waiting for That's years to, to, to join the downtown Y here in Burlington. It's a remarkable institution in Burlington, Vermont. So Pooch got us in and we're going for the first times. And it's got me thinking a little bit about gyms and gym etiquette and what a unique culture they are. Well, and apropos with so many people having made resolutions to get in shape, you know, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, that makes sense that gym etiquette is a good topic for this season. It's also the dead of winter here in Vermont. And if you want to move your body, sometimes you have to go find a warm building that's set up for people to, to come inside and do that. So my thoughts about gym etiquette really start. And I did a little assay of Google gym etiquette just to see what, what I saw out there. And it's remarkable. I saw a lot of top 10 lists with different specific tips and advice. And I noticed they started to fall into certain categories that to me were quite identifiable from a a more general etiquette perspective. And a lot of them start from the frame of that it's a public place. So right off the bat, you're holding yourself to a slightly higher standard. And you're reminding yourself that it's not just about you, your wants and your needs, but about all the people that you're sharing that space with. And that it's your shared behavior, your shared activity that creates the environment. And that it's in all of our best interest to create environments that we want to be in and that are conducive to the kind of activity that we want to be doing there. From that point of heightened awareness, we move on to the the particulars of what are some good tips. And I started to gather these tips and put them in the buckets of our core principles of etiquette of respect, consideration, and honesty. So when I start with the respect column, I really think that that has to do for me with how you relate and treat the people around you. One is that it's important to be timely. Timely in terms of how you use equipment, how you move through the gym, how you move through the space. You need to be aware of space. You need to be aware of the people around you. If you've got a wide open gym and there's someone on one treadmill, you don't necessarily need to go set up on the treadmill immediately next to them. You could give them a little bit of space to do their work. Take advantage of the the space that's available and give people the space they need to do what they need to do. How do you interpret what that is? Well, you watch them for signals. And one of the signals that you see in the gym a lot is people wearing headphones. If someone's wearing headphones, it means they're in their own space, they're in their own world. It's probably not a good time to talk to them. When someone's in the middle of working out, you want to respect that. If someone's lifting weight, if someone's in the middle of a routine, you want to honor and respect what they're doing and not interrupt them. Especially because it's very hard to talk when you're lifting weights or running intervals on a treadmill or something. It's like it's not the easiest time to hold a conversation. Even as, are you going to be done in five minutes or I'm right. wondering right. anything like that. Just respect people's signals or cues that they're busy and really that they're doing something is one and that they've taken their attention elsewhere with headphones or with where they're looking is another. They're focused. Another sort of concept that fits right into that respect is about use of phones in gym spaces. And a lot of people are using Fitbits or they're listening to music. They've got an iPod. They've got something that they're that they're using as part of their workout routine or their training routine. At the same time, phones ringing, going off, phones becoming a distraction, people talking on phones, subjecting the captive audience, that person who's in the middle of a set or in the middle of a routine and can't get away to one half of a conversation is really rude. It's really disrespectful. And it starts to deconstruct the kind of positive social space that we all want to create. Can I make an addition to that? Because I look at texting at the gym as no big deal whatsoever. However, if you're texting and not paying attention to the fact that the equipment you've been waiting for is free and the person 
behind you is now being held up because you're distracted by sending a text message. You really need to be aware of those kinds of things. That first question we talked about being timely. Absolutely. <laughs> and if your texts are coming and going and they alert or ring every oh, time they come vibrate. and go, yeah. silence yeah. that phone. Totally. The final thought in terms of respect and respecting people who you're with is the the question of modesty in the gym. And there's definitely gym locker rooms where people need to shower, they need to change because it's important to stay clean and it's important <laughs> yeah. to have good hygiene. That's another fundamental etiquette at the gym. At the same time, not everybody have the same level of comfort with people that they don't know and varying degrees of dress. So uh, learning to respect that, learning to show appropriate modesty. And one of those things is not parading around in a gym naked, that you take care of your business, but then you make some effort to cover up. And when you're in public spaces, workout clothes are appropriate. Things that are, are tight fitting can seem revealing, but it's important that they cover everything. The biggest no-no when it comes to modesty and dress and attire at the gym is loose-fitting clothing that actually doesn't really do the job of covering you up when you're in public places. And my final thought about respect is that no matter what situation you find yourself in, in the gym, safety comes first. People are working with heavy weights and they're doing, in some cases, high-stakes physical activity, even if that's uh, an inverted yoga pose. And it's really important to stay aware and it's up to all of us to take care of each other in those spaces. That's going to take me into the consideration. I'm, when I talk about being clean and being neat, that workout's going to change your personal hygiene needs. You might not be used to the idea that it's really important to take a shower on your way out of the gym before you return to whatever activity is you're returning to that day. It's also possible if you're trying a new workout routine, you might not realize just how much you sweat. And one of the things that comes up a lot is picking up after yourself. That's cleaning up or wiping down machines or equipment that you've used. It's also important not to make a mess, not to take out more equipment than you're going to use at any one time and to put it away and put it away properly when you're done. You do this so that you don't hog the equipment and so that it's there for other people when they need to use it. Another question, and this will be my, my sort of final thoughts on gym etiquette, have to do with the principle of honesty. Because one of the biggest mistakes that people make at the gym is the social faux pas of overstepping their boundaries because these are spaces where we run into people that we don't always see in our regular life and we're doing common and shared activities that many people um, have, have a common interest in. Oftentimes people think of a gym as a, a single scene, a place to meet people. And unless that's a particular part of the advertising and the setup for the way that gym is promoted, the primary focus that people have when they go to a gym is to work out. And it's important to honor that. And it's important to be honest with yourself about what you're there for also. And you want to be really careful about letting your behavior start to represent you in a different way. That doesn't align with your core intentions. Be honest with yourself. If you're really at a gym for the purpose of being social, then... Give the signals that will tell people that that's what you're there for. Say hi to people when you see them. Take your headphones off. Don't have your phone in your hand when you're coming and going from the building. Gyms can be remarkable and fun social scenes. At the same time, the common interest that brings everybody there is the workout. So it's also really important to respect the people that are giving you signals that that's what they're there to do. My final tip for honest behavior at a gym is that because this is a public space, we're going to default to a slightly more formal etiquette. And... In a slightly more formal situation, we really strive for etiquette that's gender neutral. And if you're looking for 
a way to ask yourself, is it appropriate for me to do this with this person? One of the things you can ask yourself is, would I be comfortable doing this with anybody of any gender? Because that really means that your etiquette is gender neutral. If you would walk up and say that thing to just about anybody, then you're probably in really good shape. But if you say to yourself, you know, I don't think I would say that to the person sitting three seats over from the person that I'm thinking about going up and saying that to, then I think you need to ask yourself why that is and you need to look at that reason, be honest with yourself about what it is about that situation that would cause you to treat those two people differently. So that's an awful lot of thoughts about gym etiquette. And I hope in the end that that can get us all out there, get our heart rates up, get us a little closer to those New Year's resolutions if that's what we're doing there. And if you're just there to try Bathalon, I hope that you find your friends and that you enjoy that as well. How long now before you'll be going out to make your own way in the world? Not very long, I guess. And whatever you do, wherever you go, you'll want to put your best foot forward. Our etiquette salute today is short and simple, and it is a flashback to New Year's Eve. Over New Year's Eve, I hosted two close friends who are newlyweds, and this salute goes to this couple and their fantastic guest etiquette. They brought a small hostess gift for me and a host gift for my roommate, even though he was out of town at the time. They treated me to dinner one evening as a thank you. The morning they departed, they woke up early to launder their bedroom towels, roll up their air mattress, fold their blankets, tidy the kitchen from the previous night's festivities, and pack their car. And they did it all in total silence so they wouldn't wake me up. I hope I can be as good of a guest for them in the future. Signed, Happy Host. You see what I mean about putting your best foot forward? Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions, and of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it. And of course, you can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show was produced by Hans Buchel. 